Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. Republican Congressman Mike Bost of Illinois is used to competitive general election campaigns, but the Murfreesboro Republican is facing a challenge from his right from former state Senator Darren Bailey. On the latest episode of Politically Speaking, Bost explains why he deserves another two years in office and why his opponent would be a substandard choice for Illinois Republicans. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, an in-depth examination of Missouri and Illinois politics. The instant we got to Illinois, we joined the Green Party. This was 2000. So I've tried to push for those that uh, I think are honest and really care about the future of the city. You know, this wasn't a path that I, I thought I would choose in 2012 when I was able to win the closest Republican victory in the nation. If it's something that will, will help Southern Illinois, I'll work with them on it. If there's something he's doing wrong, then you got to fight him on it. I believe very strongly in the Second Amendment. I believe less government is better, and I believe local control is better. I choose to fight for working families and for union members. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today is St. Louis Public Radio's Metro East reporter, Will Bauer. And joining us for the third time on Politically Speaking, he is the representative for Illinois' beautiful and enormous 12th congressional district. It our is. Our it guest is today is. And enormous. This is Congressman Mike Boss. Well, thank you for coming back on the show. Um, you are in somewhat of an unusual situation. You have been in competitive general elections before, but I think this is probably like your first competitive Republican primary where you're running against former Senator Darren Bailey, who we interviewed earlier. Um, how are you how are you approaching this campaign and, and why are you deciding to stay in the tranquil world of, of federal politics? Well, we're very, very pleased with the campaign on how it's going. You know, we've gotten support from every corner of the 34 counties uh, that make up the Illinois 12th District. And we're blessed to receive uh, far more financial support from the 12th District residents than our opponent has, which means he's able to, <clears throat> we, we are able to get our message out to the voters. So we have an excellent campaign organization that is, you know, connecting with voters for months. And Southern Illinois deserves an effective conservative congressman. And, I, and I've been a strong voting record. I have a strong voting record uh, with the conservatives. I've, I've been endorsed by Donald Trump three times. I was the first person to endorse Donald Trump uh, in the 2024 election. 100% rating and endorsement by the Right to Life. One, or an endorsement by the NRA. Endorsement by the Illinois Farm Bureau, which was unanimous with all 34 counties endorsing. Endorsed by Jim Jordan and many strong conservatives, including uh, Morgan Luttrell and, and Ronnie Jackson, who came in for an event uh, earlier this week. Um, we voted. I have voted to build the border wall, protect Second Amendments, and end up and end the work uh, or the woke nonsense uh, in our schools. I voted against the four trillion dollar debt 
uh, uh, failed to fix crisis. Uh, and as far as my experience, I've got nine years experience um, uh, as the member of Congress. I serve on three vital committees for the Illinois 12th District. I serve on the Ag, Transportation Infrastructure, and I'm chairman of the VA committee. Now, let me explain that to you. The chairman of the VA committee is vitally important for not only the Illinois 12th, but for the state of Illinois and for the nation as a whole. And here's why. Um, the last time that there was a full committee, I'm not a subcommittee chairman, I am the full committee chairman of the VA. Now, that means that, um, uh, the well, first off, the last time we had a full committee chairman of anything south of Springfield in the state of Illinois, it was uh, 42 years ago. So it doesn't happen overnight. And the, the ability, and I'm blessed because my, my colleagues put me in that position, but I'm blessed beyond measure because now I get help, not only veterans in my district, but across the nation and those that are stationed or, or that are located around the world. And with that, it gives me an opportunity a leg up to um, work uh, and help each member of Congress and therefore develop those relationships that don't develop overnight. So we have we're doing the right thing, um, and we are. Uh, I'm doing the job I'm supposed to do. Uh, as I said, we're getting support from all over, and uh, you know I want to continue to serve the people. Uh, I'm not old. I'm not senile. Uh, and if it's working and it's working right, don't and it's not broke, don't fix it. And, and Congressman, I'm sure you're you're well aware, and some of this probably comes with the territory of being an incumbent. But your opponent has has questioned your voting record, and you know if you're conservative enough. And and maybe one of the the things that he cites often is uh, some scores or metrics. Uh, one specifically from the Conservative Review, and you rate 52 percent there. So I guess my question is, do you think those are, or is that a good measurement of your no. conservatism? No. So let's put it in perspective. He, he actually does quote that, and he taxed me for a group that actually Conservative Review isn't really one of those major groups that everybody looks at, but he doesn't tell you that that group only scores an average of about seven votes per year. So guess how many votes I've had since I've been in Congress? 5,210. Last year, that particular group just voted or just, just rated one vote of 724 that were cast. If my opponent really wants to talk about conservative ratings, let's do that. A 100% conservative rating with the national right to life. They've endorsed me over him. A 100% conservative rating with the Family Resource Council. A 100% conservative rating with the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. And a 100% conservative rating with Americans for Prosperity. I've been, board, have been endorsed by Jim Jordan, Byron Donalds, as I said, uh, Morgan Luttrell, and Ronnie Jackson, who is actually, if, if people look at that, Ronnie Jackson is, is and is a very close friend with, with uh, Donald Trump, and uh, it was his physician when he was in the White House. So whenever Darren goes on the attack to level these attacks, understand he had to find, dig, dig pretty deep to find a group that doesn't really rate with a lot of people because of the way they handle their ratings. Now, you know, I am committed uh, to being a conservative, and, and he gets upset when I say this, too, and I'm going to say it. So I am a governing conservative. What does that mean? That means I am a conservative, and my voting record shows that I'm a conservative. But I'm not 
willing to all of a sudden just keep saying no where we shut down the federal government or shut down our military and can't and, and I have been working very very hard to secure our borders to provide for the national defense and do everything that is supposed to be done under uh, our constitution while standing up and fighting against the Biden administration and the crazy lefties on the on the other side of the aisle mm-hmm. but I've got but but that governing is making sure that things continue to work yeah, and I think that that's probably going to be a main line of attack that during the uh, infinite drama over choosing a speaker, you routinely sided with now former Speaker McCarthy um, when he was trying to be ousted or they were tr- uh, or there was efforts to not elect him in the beginning. Um, and, and, and let me explain, sure, because, because I knew what the chaos would bring. And if you notice now, and I'm telling you that, so so you know, mm-hmm. I supported Jim Jordan the next vote. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Okay? So it was about trying to stop the chaos that was caused by Matt Gates and his cronies that voted with the, the eight members that voted with the Democrats. And, and believe me, that's all that is. Eight members of the Republicans voted with Democrats to cause chaos that almost, that we were like a ship without a rudder for three weeks. And during that time, and during that time, Israel, our greatest ally, came under attack. But yet we didn't have a speaker at the time. Do I like Mike Johnson? I do. I think he's doing the best job he possibly can. Is he doing things different than Kevin McCarthy? I do not believe so because he's put in a box by those eight and by others to say that, 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 that a good job is, is – is, they'll, they'll throw out uh, – well, let's just say they'll give up. Uh, uh, the very good, hoping for the great, and lose us ground every time. Right now, we're trying to move budgets. We're trying to move a farm bill. There's many things we're trying to move, but unfortunately, the chaos that they caused. Now, I do believe that my opponent would be part of that chaos. Mm -hmm. And if our voters want to have him and send him to be part of the chaos. But I'm going to tell you something. I am a conservative, governing conservative, but I'm going to say this. I'm doing it to be, make, leave this nation better for our children and grandchildren, because I'm really worried about it. I'm not doing it for an ego trip. I'm not doing it for uh, making more likes on my Facebook page. I'm not doing it so that I can get on a 24-hour news network. I don't need to be famous. I need to do the job that the people of the Illinois 12 have sent me to do. And that is to do a good job of bringing this nation around and riding the ship in the direction that it needs to be, that we have been that beacon on the hill, and we will continue to be that if we govern. And this is so much, this is very, very ridiculous to have a Republican trying to attack me on my record, which will show how conservative it is. That rail is about a a centimeter, about a centimeter um, wide that he's trying to walk. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with any more but his own ego. Mm-hmm. He, he, he says, I'm a professional politician. Well, he's a professional candidate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, look at what he's done. But by running for all these different offices and everything like that, not, hold, not staying with any office, the only thing he's passed of any legislation and all the time that he was in the House and the Senate is he passed a bill to increase the penalty for going around the stop bar on a bus, on school buses. That's not governing. 
governing is actually rolling your sleeves up, working to go ahead and find that common ground that our forefathers did when they, they worked on the Constitution to try to make this, this nation a better place. Well, okay, we're going to get back to your opponent later in the show, but I want to actually okay. go through some issues that are top of mind right now. And some of All some right. of the things we'll talk about, we'll probably sprinkle in some things that he said to give you a chance to respond. So okay. I want to like split this whole situation with immigration, Ukraine and Israel into right. three sections. Like, like, let's talk about the immigration first. Um, yeah. One of the things that was really startling to me as an outside observer is you're in divided government. You have a very small majority in the House. You don't have the Democrat. You don't have the Senate. You don't have the White House. And yet you're hearing people in your caucus saying they're not going to take anything except what's known as House Bill 2 um, right. because it doesn't go far enough. Or they're even being very brash about it and saying, I don't want to pass anything because it's going to help Joe Biden and I want Trump to get elected. I mean, okay, from the outside, so from, from the outside looking in, yeah. that seems really cynical and ridiculous, Congressman. I want you to right. to talk about that. Right. So let me let me say this. I want to fix the problem. It has nothing to do with holding Joe Biden where he's at, right, and and causing a disturbance in the election. But I want to do it right, and I'm going to tell you the Senate bill that was proposed was not right. It was not right. And it is a case where you are allowing a large amount of immigrants to continue to move across our border. Now, now let me clarify that. They're not immigrants. They're illegals to move across our border when we are overloading our cities. And the thing is, the sad thing is, is this president has the power. And I want you to notice this. There's about five things that he can do that he has the power to do that he stopped. And he only stopped them because they were Trump's policies. He can continue to build the border wall. He can force the hands of the Mexican government to go back to remain in Mexico. He can stop the catch and release program. He can increase the numbers like we wanted to in HR2 of Border Patrol agents not to check people in, but to keep people out. And that's what the Border Patrol is asking for as well. So I'm going to take my stand on that. And make sure that you that you know you can say that about HR two, and that's not a not a way to compromise. But HR two was a compromise. It was a sensible thing to go back to where we were before. And let me tell you, I have went twice now to Eagle Pass. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it for a political stunt. I went twice. One as a VA chairman back in January of, uh, or I'm sorry, back in back in May, late May, early June of last year, to talk to our border agents that were actually veterans, many of them veterans themselves, that were ha under mental distress from, from the load, workload and the problems that they were facing and the lack of support that they were getting from the administration. I went back on January 3rd um, and, and dealt with this issue as well. And I'm going to tell you something that was said by a, a sheriff and also one of the lead border agents down there. What they said was, look, we're not partisan. We need to have this issue fixed. It was great. We, it wasn't great. It was, it was controlled. And was, this guy said, I, I came in during Reagan. I, I was hired during Reagan. It was, it was controlled during Reagan. We could do our job. It was controlled during uh, uh, Clinton. It was controlled during, during Bush. 
It was controlled during Clinton. It was controlled during Bush, too. It was controlled during Obama. It really got under very, that's the exact word he said. He said, under Trump's policies, we slowed it down to a trickle. And he said it was the first time I'd seen it like that. And it was great. And he said we were going to be able to, it doesn't mean we don't want people in. It means we want to coordinate the people that are coming here legally. So he said then, as of January, when, when Biden took over and he removed every one of those issues, chaos ensued. Now you got Biden standing out there saying, oh, Congress has to do something. No, he could go ahead and do that if he wanted to. But I'm more than willing to do something. But, but they've got to start as a base, at least for a base, on H.R. 2. Then come back. Not come up with this 5,000 plus that, 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 that can be come in every day without a reaction. No, that's, that's not controlling your borders. That, that's just saying, okay, we're, we're going to slow it down so um, people won't notice it as bad. That's not the way to govern. You've got to get it right. Let's move on to maybe the second part of that Senate proposal, which would be um, aid to other countries. And you would, yep. if I'm remembering right, you had, you had said Israel was one of our greatest allies. So I guess maybe first yep. part of that question, how do you feel about tying support to other countries along with the immigration reform or change, however you would phrase it? I'm, I, and then if, if, also if how do you the feel negotiation, like... Okay, if the negotiation is other countries besides Israel, I'm okay with those negotiations to be put in there, Okay. Um, but Israel it needs to be a separate item because they are our greatest ally. You know, that vote came up uh, the other night. Uh, it needed two-thirds. It did not Nick, not get two-thirds, but it did get my vote uh, in supporting Israel. And, and as far as supporting Ukraine, the first two bills, I supported Ukraine. Um, but let me explain this to you. What we then discovered was, and this is a problem and has been a problem since Ukraine split from uh, the USSR. Uh, because corruption was so rampant in uh, all the countries that made up USSR, they thought that's how business was automatically done. And so whenever they start sending funds that we put for uh, weapons, uh, for troop movements, for uh, troop protection equipment, all of that stuff that we thought we were going to pay for, for for their fight against Russia, instead you see it going into a pension system, you see it going into um, uh, we're kind of questioning where it's going in. So i Two votes ago on the Ukraine funding, I started making the statement, because that's what we realized that was going on, that I am for Ukraine funding with oversight mm -hmm. so that we know that the money we are spending is being done, being spent to where we know it's going to do exactly what it's supposed to do, and that's help defeat Russia and drive them back out of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And so that, that needs to be very, very clear. You know, I mean, once again, look. I know my opponent, what he says about all this, you know, he, well, he's changed his position. Well, you know what? Changing your position is when you realize there was information you didn't have before. See, that's called governing. And so, um, you know, I, I will stand beside my behind my votes on, on everything I'm doing. And I'll also tell you that as we move forward, I'll, I'll make a vote based on what's in, actually in the bill. I'm not like what Nancy Pelosi said years ago. Well, we got to pass it so we can find out what's in it. I actually try to find out what's in it before I make my decision. I've got a very good staff and myself that kind of we kind of feel it's important to read exactly what we're voting for. So I want to talk. I want to I want to ask you this question because I've been hearing a lot of Republicans say they don't want to give any more money to Ukraine because of corruption. And I, I want to make it clear, like I'm half Ukrainian. I'm yeah. not unbiased yeah. on this. But if you're going to make that statement about Ukraine, 
shouldn't you cut off all funding for Israel because Benjamin Netanyahu has literally been on trial for corruption and he may end up right. going I mean, to jail? I mean, I mean if you if, if you want to if you want to question the leader, uh, the arguments that go on, and and I'm going to tell you that. The thing for corruption in Israel, you need to know the inside politics of that, too. It, it, you know, I mean, you got Donald Trump that's apparently on corruption here, too. So, you know, I mean, this is the same thing with with our 24-hour news networks. And th- this is the problem that exists is the firing up and going, well, that person's corrupt. This person. The reality is, is that listen to what I said again. Yeah. I want to make sure Ukraine can defeat Russia. That being said, I have a fiduciary duty not only to the taxpayers of the Illinois 12, but the taxpayers of this nation, to do my job under the Constitution of oversight. Oversight in knowing where, where we're actually spending the money. When we send the money, that money is directed. Now, if they then move other money someplace else, that, that we can't control that, and that, that's part of if, if you're supporting an ally. But if, I'm telling you that when we spend the money, we've never had a problem with things showing up with Israel misabusing or misusing or, or when we start to track the money, there's a problem there, okay? I want to let you know that. Yes. The argument with Putin is between his other political parties and then their branches of government. So we're going to let that argument go. But we've seen no corruption in or misuse of and or abuse of money with Israel. Matter of fact, quite often we get a big return on our dollar with Israel in uh, some technology that is pretty amazing that we actually use in this United States. And that's why they're one of our closest allies. Ukraine, we need to give them support. I really wish that that, that, that NATO had not had that rule about them not joining. You know what I mean? I, I think that NATO should have been heavier involved with this. But there's also that balance of, of and, and trust me on this, the amount of money we originally invested would have been inve- and could have invested faster would have helped out Ukraine better, I believe, in hindsight. That being said, Russia, one thing we discovered with Russia is where we thought they were their huge fighting force. They're not as big a fighting force as we thought. They are pretty evil, but they're not as big a fighting force as we thought. But the biggest threat is that Putin has his finger on a button. Right. Now, that's the reality of this, and that's why we've got to stop it here. And I wanted to transition maybe to some some local issues, because I know we we got big national issues to talk about. You have big priorities, maybe like for the southern border or whatever, but locally, what priorities do you have for the 12th congressional district if you win a sixth term? Okay. First off, several things along with the committees that I'm involved with, Okay. Um, understand this, I'm on Transportation Infrastructure Committee. We've got to make sure um, that we get our locks and levees and dams. Uh, we, we're, we're trying to expand. You know, we get a bottleneck in the Mississippi River um, right at, uh, at, at the Alton area. Now, now my district is great because I've got all the wider uh, lock systems. We need to make sure that we're doing the investment that we need to do there because, remember, uh, the Illinois 12th District has the most navigable inland waterways of of any district in the United States when you put it together with Mississippi, Ohio, and the Kaskaskia. So that is a pri- always a priority. That's not the number one priority. Number, uh, everything I'm going to talk about actually ties to the e- economics. We have to go back. We've got through COVID. 
We need to now focus and make sure that we're doing everything we can. We were booming just before COVID. We were, our GDP was growing. We've got to make sure our GDP grows. And the true way to reduce the debt uh, is to grow that GDP as well as keeping our expenses under control, not spending wildly like we did during COVID. So there's that. Um, as far as the other issues that I'm, I'm concerned about is, I'm on the Ag Committee. We have a farm bill that was supposed to have been passed last September. We've now put a, put a continuing resolution on it till next September. We can't wait that long, and I'm not waiting until after the election. I'm hoping we get it worked on by spring, um, and, and you've got to know and understand these issues. And, and uh, I think that you know the, the endorsement of Farm Bureau shows that I've been working with them in that way to, to, to head that in the right direction. This whole time, um, knowing that uh, the concerns, even though the border is the highest priority right now because it is affecting everyone, you've got to, you've got to also be wise in the fact that sensible, sensible uh, opportunity for migrant workers is vitally important to our farmers, uh, whether it's specialty farmers or other farmers, and we have to get that stuff straightened out uh, so we'll be be working on that as well. So, yeah, that leads into one of the many accusations that Bailey has thrown at you, that you, quote unquote, voted for amnesty. And I think that there are several votes in your past, which he cites. I think you deserve a chance to respond to that, because I think if he gets Thank enough you. money, if he gets enough money for ads, he's going to probably really hammer that home, considering the Republican base is really agitated about immigration right now. Right, right. Well, let me tell you, this immigrate, working on immigration was not something new to me. So when we first went in, and understand this, I just explained, I hope I explained that to you, yes. that there are times, well, no, that we do, we depend on migrant workers. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, no, we'll take care of it ourselves. No, there's many of these jobs. You can't get the workers to be there, okay? So what we put in place and what we have in place, but it needs to be revamped, is a system that allows for a person to migrate to this nation for a short period of time, touch here, work here, work on the specialty crop they might be involved with, or sometimes that is also involved with science, and then there's rules where they have to report back to their home nation. It's not a permanent. It doesn't allow them a pathway to citizenship. It is not amnesty. It is exactly, and here's what's really wild, it is exactly what the Farm Bureau and the people who are in the ag industry that use migrant workers wanted to work on. And we did that with bills back years ago called Good Latch Latch 1 and Good Latch 2. And that was a a discussion of the two differences. The problem is we should have just had Good Latch bill, and then then people wouldn't have voted for the two separately, and then neither one passed. Because we do need to get this problem straightened out. I am not for a blanket amnesty. I never have been. Uh, I, I have, and, and I'm going to tell you this. The thing you want to remember is those bills dealing with that particular issue, while my opponent is bad-mouthing them, he does need to understand that many of those either President Trump asked for or signed into law. So trying to make that statement about I'm a wanting amnesty is anything but the truth i am wanting a sensible sensible opportunity for migrant workers 
legally, which we use to come here so that we don't bust our farm economy and some other economies that, that depend on those migrant workers. And matter of fact, if, if, if my opponent, when he was down at Eagle Pass, would actually talk to local law enforcement down there, uh, the, the sheriff down there during a speech at lunch when we were there made a very clear statement. He said, the people across the river right here, they're our friends. They are as frustrated as having these people move, 130 countries, move through their town to try to get to the United States because they hate the fact that they're being put, being put in the same barrel as those who are coming here illegal when all that they would do is very, very much legal, and they knew everybody at the border and everybody knew them, and it, it was a great relationship. So trying to and, – and, and I think my opponent is trying to uh, fool the American – my voting the public by telling, quoting things from the 36,000-foot level, which basically proves either he's going to say anything he wants to be elected or he doesn't understand how it works. I hope it's the, uh, that he doesn't understand how it works. And one other thing before we transition into Donald Trump, who I think, yep. you know, may may or may not weigh in on this race. He also accused you of not being aggressive enough as VA chairman, v- Veterans Affairs Committee chairman, of trying to get rid of the vaccine mandate. And again, I want to give you a chance to respond to that because that was a very specific <laughs> charge against you. That, that's really funny because um, he wasn't there during that time. And I was very aggressive in making sure, because it was the law, okay, it was the law, uh, but that it would not be forced on our military, uh, that forcing it, we actually tried to say that, that the, uh, we actually had several letters and several communications with the administration on not forcing anyone, uh, and then they came back and they ended up forcing it on those who were in operating rooms and, and the, that there. And, and so we were able to remove it in time. But that wasn't easily done. And he doesn't know what the inside arguments are. And once again, he's grabbing at straws. We handled the situation the best we could in a pandemic that we had not seen before. And dealing with a, I'm going to tell you, I was very vocal and continue to be vocal about not forcing uh, vaccine mandates. And um, you know, so he's looking for any statement that he can make, whether it's true or false. So I'll just let it at that. And we wanted to end the conversation with uh, President Trump, of course, which uh, is, a, yeah. is a big factor in this race. So I'm, I'm curious, when was the last time you spoke to the former president and what did you talk about? I, I spoke to the president on, I spoke to his, now let me tell you, I'm going to tell you other people I've spoke to that are right around him. Um, I've spoke to the president in person the last time on President's Day of last year. So it's almost been a year since I spoke to him. Okay. And then are you anticipating but, but, him? Oh, sorry. Go for it. So I'm, so I'm going to tell you this. Ronnie Jackson, who was with me last night, will be playing golf with him tomorrow. Um, then both the former speaker and the existing speaker has spoken to him on this, about this race and on our behalf. Um, his right-hand person is a guy by the name of Brian Jack, and I speak to Brian Jack every week or two weeks. So I'm, I'm, I've got an open line of communication with him. I spoke with Donald Jr. 
right after Donald Jr. came in and did the book signing that Bailey bought the 1,500 books on, where he apologized and said, I'm bound by contract if somebody buys that much. But I just, he said, you know, we did a press release that said I'm not endorsing, right? And I said, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And it, maybe that leads into our last question um, pretty well. Are you anticipating former President Trump to endorse in this race? I'd, I'd, I'd love for him to. Um, uh, we have been told by all the people that I've talked to that uh, he's there is a particular reason to think there's some things going on, uh, but he's not endorsing my opponent from everything we've heard. So, so yeah, if, we'll, if, we'll, if, yeah, continue. I, I, let me interject. If he stays neutral, do you think that that would be essentially a win for you? Because you saw what happened oh, with sure. Mary Miller and Rodney sure. Davis. Like, yeah, I, I, I would I would prefer that he stayed neutral. Yeah. You bet. Because that was a death blow to Rodney Davis. To Rodney. Like, yeah. there's yeah, no question about it. And Yeah, because because if you look at the numbers that changed in Adams County alone, that was that was what did it. So we will have so, to yeah. – yeah, yeah, continue. Sorry. before you. Well, all, the only thing I was going to say is and, – and understand this. As I said early on in the start, he's endorsed me three times. I am the only district, I think, in the nation that has him – had him come in on a fly-in twice. He went to Alton, and he went to Carbondale. So um, would I love to have his endorsement? Yes. Would I prefer his endorsement? Yes. If he stays out, is that good? Yes. And, and if, he, if he endorses your opponent, that is bad. I'll, I'll <laughs> still have to run my race and ask for the people's vote and hopefully still win it. Well, Congressman, thank you so much as always thank for you. for these candid and and very very lively and great conversations. Um, <laughs> before we let you go, politically speaking, it's a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri St. Louis. Can read all of our coverage of the twelfth district uh, Illinois congressional Republican primary at stlpr.org. We, as I mentioned before, if you want to listen to the show with. Former Senator Bailey, you can do that to be maximally informed. Yep. And, and Congressman, how can people learn more about your campaign on on the World they, Wide Web? Sure, sure. They can come to uh, Mike Boss for Congress. Just punch that up. Uh, it will tell all about our campaign. It'll tie it to the uh, uh, the how to donate, how to be involved, how to volunteer. Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, we're we're hitting a lot of. We're needing a lot of help and a lot of volunteers, but we're doing a great job because the amount of doors we're walking and the uh, amount of phone calls we're making. So if you want to be involved, we'd be glad to have you. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. Politically Speaking is produced by Sarah Kellogg, Rachel Lipman, and me, Jason Rosenbaum. The show is edited by Fred Ehrlich. Read all of our coverage at stlpr.org. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Politically Speaking by searching the term Politically Speaking on Apple Podcasts. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.